Hello, and welcome to Death, Dying, and Tarot podcast. I'm your host, Whiskey Stevens. I am an occultist, an author, a thelemite, and I really do enjoy exploring death and dying. So this podcast, I'm really going to be taking you through the Egyptian Book of the Dead in relation to the major arcana cards uh, and also the suits, because I think that the suits do relate and it is quite interesting. So this podcast is unedited and you may hear me shuffling, you may hear my chair because it's old and it makes noise. Uh, You might hear my dog. I do live with somebody else and they are living, right? So uh, they do living things. Um, So yeah, it's kind of unedited here. Uh, Also, it's only 30 minutes. Um, If you want different episodes, if you're like having questions on things and um, you know, maybe you want a deeper history or maybe you're unsure of something, please do just message me and let me know. And also, when I read through the um, stories, if you know that I am mispronouncing something, if I'm mispronouncing an Egyptian god's name, uh, let me know. Um, You know, message me on Instagram or Twitter and I will correct myself for future episodes. So, uh, the two books that I'm going to be working through for this podcast episode and the future ones, really, uh, is of course the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Toth uh, Tarot Astrology and Other Selected Writings by Phyllis Seckler, also known as Sora Merrill. Um, I really do love Phyllis's writing, you know, the uh, writing that I've read so far. She really has found a soft spot in my heart. And yeah, so the reason why this came about was uh, about a year ago, I was meditating on the Fool card and I started, you know, thinking about what if the Fool really didn't take a leap of faith? What if he actually jumped right off that cliff, plummeted to his death, and the journey through the tarot with the Fool's journey was actually the journey through the afterlife. And it really showed us all the trials and tribulations that happen, you know, after death. And right now, I do feel like it can be both. I think as above, so below. So the uh, major arcana, you know, can reflect the trials and tribulations, the positive and negative things that happen in this existence, and also it can show us the afterlife. Um, I also do believe that it can show us the journey to attainment and It can be a tool for uh, looking at our inner selves and uh, knowing or coming to know our true will. Uh, So, also, David Shoemaker has an episode on his podcast called Living Thelema uh, on the Holy Guardian Angel. And in that episode, he does talk about how the tarot uh, can be a tool that can help with your intuition. It can also be a tool that helps with knowing symbols because the holy guardian angel really does start communicating to people in symbols. Um, So, you know, in like dreams and things like that and you kind of have to interpret them for yourself. So, um, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, so that's how it came to be and uh, for this episode we're going to be talking about Osiris and the Fool card. So we're going to do a very brief history of the Book of the Dead, explaining what it is, and then we're going to do the Legend of Osiris, uh, and then the Fool card. So if you stick with me till the end, uh, I'm going to be sharing some of Phyllis Seckler's writing, 
on the fool card and when i when i first read uh her writing it was really like insightful there was something there that like jumped right out at me and i'm sure that if you stick with me to the end through the history and through the legend of osiris that there will be something there for you as well so let's get into it the earliest inscribed monuments and human remains found in Egypt prove that the ancient Egyptians took the utmost care to preserve the bodies of their dead by various processes of embalming. The deposit of the body in the tomb was accompanied by ceremonies of a symbolic nature, in the course of which certain compositions comprising prayers, short litanies, etc., having reference to the future life, were recited or chanted by priests and relatives on behalf of the dead. The greatest importance was attached to such compositions in the belief that their recital would secure for the dead an unhindered passage to God in the next world, would enable him to overcome the opposition of all ghostly foes, would endow his body in the tomb with the power to resist corruption, and would ensure him a new life in a glorified body in heaven. At a very remote period, certain groups of sections or chapters had already become associated with some of the ceremonies which preceded actual burial, and these events became a distinct ritual with clearly defined limits. Side by side, however, with this ritual, there seems to have existed another and larger work, which was divided into an indefinite number of sections or chapters comprising of chiefly prayers and which dealt on a larger scale with the welfare of the departed in the next world and described the state of existence therein and the dangers which must be passed successfully before it could be reached and was founded generally on the religious dogmas and mythology of the egyptians and from that you can really see how the major arcana and the fool's journey can show us the afterlife, you know, or, you know, the trials and tribulations, you know, that we're going through in this life in order to uh, attain in the afterlife. So, um, we can see that already present in some of the major arcana cards, right? With the justice card, we see the scales, uh, and we know, you know, throughout the mythology that in the afterlife, your heart is weighed on a scale uh, against a feather, and I really do feel like the Justice card is speaking to that. So, uh, we can see, you know, it's present in some of the major arcana cards already. But, uh, we're not there yet. We will get there. This first episode is all about the Fool card. So, in order to actually talk about the Fool card, we have to first talk about the Legend of Osiris. And, uh, sorry, my chair is so sque squeaky. Um, but bear with me, you know, through the legend of Osiris and through me, I'm sure, butchering the names of these Egyptian gods. Because uh, you will start to see how Osiris does relate to the Fool card. So, the story of Osiris is nowhere found in a connected form in Egyptian literature. But everywhere, in texts of all periods, the life, sufferings, death, and resurrection of Osiris are accepted as facts universally admitted. Greek writers have preserved in their works traditions concerning this god, and to Plutarch, in particular, we owe an important version of the legend as current in this day. It is clear that in some points he errs. 
but this was excusable in dealing with a series of traditions already some 4,000 years old. According to this writer, the goddess Rhea, the wife of Helios, was beloved by Kronos. When Helios discovered the intrigue, he cursed his wife and declared that she should not be delivered of her child in any month or in any year. Then, the god Hermes, who also loved Rhea, played at tables with Selene and won from her the seventeenth part of each day of the year, which, added together, made five whole days. These he joined to the three hundred and sixty days of which the year consisted. Upon the first of these five days was Osiris brought forth, and the moment from his birth a voice was heard to proclaim that the Lord of creation was born. In course of time, he became king of Egypt, and devoted himself to civilizing his subjects and to teaching them the craft of the husbandman. He established a code of laws and bade men worshipping the gods. Having made Egypt peaceful and flourishing, he set out to instruct the other nations of the world. During his absence, his wife Isis so well ruled the state that Typh, the evil one, could do no harm to the realm of Osiris. When Osiris came again, Typh plotted with seventy-two comrades and with Aso, the queen of Ethiopia, to slay him and secretly got the measure of the body of Osiris, and made a fair chest which was brought into his banqueting hall when Osiris was present together with the other guests. By a ruse, Osiris was induced to lie down in the chest, which was immediately closed by Typh and his fellow conspirators, who conveyed it to the Titanic mouth of the Nile. These things happen... On the seventeenth day of the month of Hathor, when Osiris was in the twenty-eighth year, either of his reign or of his age, the first to know of what happened were the Pans and the Satyrs, who dwelt hard by the Panopolis, and finally the news was brought to Isis at Koptos, whereupon she, she cut off a lock of her hair and put on mourning apparel. She then set out in deep grief to find her husband's body, and in the course of her wandering she discovered that Osiris had been united with her sister, Nephthys, and that Anubis, the offspring of the union, had been exposed by his mother as soon as born. Isis tracked him by the help of dogs and bred him up to be her guard and attendant. Soon after, she learned that the chest had been carried by the sea to Byblos, where it had been gently laid by the waves among the branches of the Tamarsk tree, which in a very short time had grown to a magnificent size and had enclosed the chest within its trunk. The king of the country, admiring the tree, cut it down and made a pillar for the roof of his house of that part which contained the body of Osiris. When Isis heard of this, she went to Byblos, and, gaining admittance to the palace through the report of the royal maidens, she was made nurse to one of the king's sons. Instead of nursing the child in the ordinary way, Isis gave him her finger to suck, and each night she put him in the fire to consume his mortal parts. 
changing herself while into a swallow and bemoaning her fate. But the queen once happened to see her son in flames and cried out, and thus deprived him of immortality. Then Isis told the queen her story and begged for the pillar which supported the roof. This she cut open and took out the chest and her husband's body, and her lament, uh, her lament, wow, excuse me, her laminations were so terrible that one of the royal children died of fright. She then brought the chest by ship to Egypt, where she opened it and embraced the body of her husband, weeping bitterly. Then she sought her son, Horus, in Buto, in Lower Egypt, first having hidden in the chest in a secret place. But Typh, one night, hunting by the light of the moon, found the chest and, recognizing the body, tore it into fifteen pieces, which he scattered up and down throughout the land. When Isis heard of this, she took a boat made of papyrus, a plant aboard by crocodiles, and sailing about she gathered the fragments of Osiris's body. Wherever she found one, there she built a tomb. But now Horus had grown up, and being encouraged to use uh, the arms by Osiris, who returned from the other world, he went out to do battle with Typh the murderer of his father. The fight lasted many days, and Typh was made captive. But Isis, to whom the care of the prisoner was given, so far from aiding her son Horus, set Typh at liberty. Horus, in his rage, tore from her head the royal diadem, but, thought, but Toth gave her a helmet in the shape of a cow's head, in two other battles fought between Horus and Typh, Horus was the victor. This is the story of the sufferings and death of Osiris as told by the Plutarch. Osiris was a god through whose sufferings and death the Egyptian hoped that his body might rise again, in some transformed or glorified shape. And to him who conquered death and had become the king of the world, the Egyptian appealed in prayer for eternal life through his victory and power. In every funeral inscription known to us, from the pyramid text down to roughly written prayers upon coffins of the Roman period, what is done for Osiris is done also for the deceased. The state condition of Osiris, or the state and the condition of the deceased. In a word, the deceased is identified with Osiris. If Osiris liveth forever, the deceased will live forever. If Osiris dieth, then will the deceased perish. Later, in the 18th or early 19th dynasty, we find Osiris called the King of Eternity, the Lord of Everlastingness, who traveleth millions of years in the duration of his life, the firstborn son of the womb of Newt, begotten of Seb, the prince of gods and men, the god of gods, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of princes, the governor of the world, from whom Nuit, whose existence is everlasting. Unifer of many forms and of many attributes, Tmu and Anu, the lord of Akert, the only one, the lord of the land, 
on each side of the Celestial Nile. In the 26th dynasty and later there grew up a class of literature represented by such works as the Book of Respirations and the Laminations of Isis and Nephs. The festival songs of Isis and Nephs, the litanies of Sek and the like, the hymns and prayers of which are addressed to Osiris's rather as the god of the dead and the type of resurrection than as the successor of the great cosmic god Tumra. He is also called, this is Osiris, so Osiris is also called the soul that liveth again, the being who becometh a child again, the firstborn son of unformed matter, the lord of multitude aspects and forms, the lord of time and bestower of years, the lord of life for all eternity. He is the giver of life from the beginning. Life springs up to us from the destruction, and the germ which proceeds from him engenders life in both the dead and the living. Okay. So that's basically the legend of Osiris. Hopefully, um, you know, I didn't butcher that too much with my speech. I am so sorry. This is, uh, you know, the first podcast that we are doing. It will get better as we go. And now, let's move into talking about the Fool card. Now, we are going to read um, a brief passage from Phyllis Seckler's work. And it's something that I do find very interesting. Now, I do think that if you are looking at it from just a very objective point of view, and you're looking at, well, how does Osiris relate to the Major Arcana? You can actually see Osiris, if Osiris is all things and no things, if Osiris is reflected in everything, then you can see that Osiris could be in every single one of the major arcana cards. And this is true because we see um, him going through the journey, basically. But in each and every one of us is every single major arcana as well. And if we understand ourselves to be divine, I I also think that if Osiris is in each and every major arcana card, then so are we. But a passage from Phyllis Seckler, so this is page 10 of her book, says, Since the fool is above the abyss, he cannot be comprehended by logic and reason, and is very difficult to understand as he combines in himself many paradoxes. And when I read that, I think, is that why um, Alistair Crowley said that he had attained? And that is that why I can't understand a lot of his work? I don't know. I understand the apprehension with Alistair Crowley and all the things like that. But, um, you know, that's a thought that I have. But also, who knows? Uh, he also had a lot of um, negative qualities as well. So anyway... His energy is unconscious and undirected by the intellect, but it is an extremely strong and potent energy. He is beyond space and time. He is opposite poles of energy as found in light and in air. He is all things and nothing. We think of him first as one sort of energy and then as another, since our brains work only on one pole of energy at a time or on one idea at a time. It is difficult to pin the fool down, for he is in himself two opposites. The fool can create and destroy energy or order or anarchy. 
he is unconventional. But this Cobbs, of course, whose light the fool carries, is a creative light. So when the fool is operative, we may become very creative. We may have fresh and unusual ideas, coming fresh from the depths of our being. We can revolutionize ourselves and our world. In Liberlegus, the fool is referred to as the highest attainment, and as the fool of the unconscious, undirected behavior. Thus, he is the two poles of action, pure folly, foolishness, ineptitude, ignorance, and the, at the same time wisdom and spirituality. But as humans, we know him as one or the other, and not as the two opposite poles unless we have the strength and good fortune to cross the abyss. Uh, we also, you know, um, to point out, that's quite interesting because if the fool is the highest form of attainment, and Osiris really, uh, through the story or the legend of Osiris, we do see that Osiris reached attainment. Um, he became, he was the god of creation. He became this everything. You know, he, he is all things. He is no things. He is life and death. He is reborn. He is resurrected. He has become this thing that is everlasting. And so the fool is at the beginning of our journey, uh, just starting out, right? Uh, Osiris becomes that child again. And of course, we know the fool to be very naive. We know the fool to be very new and fresh, right? Um, starting in the beginning of the journey. And then, as the fool progresses through the major arcana, the fool there is at the end as well. Um, so it is it is a circle, right? So um, when you know it reads that the fool is referred to as the highest attainment, uh, I do believe that this is relating to Osiris. Now, of course, you can say, well, is Osiris the sun card? Is Osiris you know, the, um, the child, uh, depicted in the sun. And I would also agree. Like I said, I think Osiris is in all cards. Um, but when we're talking about attainment, when we're talking about basically this everlasting life or, um, passing through basically all of these trials and tribulations, I think the fool is where we start and of course where we end. <laughs> Um, so, I also wanted to, um, just point out quickly from the, the book as well, that there was a passage that I really thought was interesting, and I'm just going to flip the page because I want to make sure that I get it. So, Phyllis really, really, uh, shares with us what can we do to come to know or have some wisdom of our own when it comes to the Fool card. And uh, what it says is the term ox, which corresponds with the fool, is a hidden message which reveals the opposite polarities through all existence. It implies the yang and the yin of Chinese thought, the positive and negative, the straight and the circular. It implies the alpha and omega, or the first and the last, of Western thought. This symbol is spirit and earth. It is Nuit and Hadith. It is the fool married to the universe, or to an earthly creation his universe. Thus, the winners of the ordeal, X, in Liberlegus, uh, refers to this highest attainment. 
Therion accomplished this, marriage of the highest and lowest. It is doubtful that anyone else has done this to date. But it is a symbol of what must be done in order to attain. The individual must always seek to marry the opposite he encounters both in himself and in the world, until, like the fool, he cares not where he goes nor how the energies manifest in him. Meditation exercises can bring the practitioner into some sort of knowledge of the circle of nothingness. The wheat or the wholeness of everything out of which he has created his phenomena, his maya, his dream world. How did you manage to precipitate certain phenomena out of nothing? What was the word of your certain phenomena? What was the word of your chokma? Which made a certain path of going necessary to you and not another path? For the energies of the fool tumble down into chokma, the wisdom, the word, the will. And there they are made into a definite idea of a way, suitable to one person, but not the other. So this is where our journey begins. It begins with the legend of Osiris. It begins with the fool card at the beginning. And we're going to be taking it as the, the fool has, uh, you can take it one of two ways, actually, as we go through the Book of the Dead. One, you can really look at it like the fool did plummet to his death, and we are literally going through the afterlife. Or, you can look at it as if the fool has, uh, the fool is in this life, but, um, each passage that we go through is a trial and tribulation that you may have to go through in this life that you might be tested on in the afterlife. Um, so that could be interesting to you as well because, uh, you know, throughout this life there are certain things that happen to us, there are certain challenges, there are a lot of things that try to distract us or take us away from our true will. Uh, try to to, um, you know, as soon as we set on a path that's right for us, all of a sudden things might get really hectic, things might get a little crazy, um, you know, we just might get distracted or start to be pulled away. Uh, there's forces that can work in very mysterious ways, and I think that, you know, you can really look at the, uh, major arcana in relation to the afterlife, in relation to the book of the dead, or in relation to the living life, as a tool that can help you to not get distracted while you work to discover your true will and also after uh, knowing your true will to not get distracted as well. But hopefully you did get something out of that. Hopefully, you know, there are some insights there in terms of uh, the legend of Osiris, uh, the journey and how the fool does relate at both the beginning and the end. And uh, something that I would leave you with is to meditate on the fool card. Meditate on the circle, right? On the beginning of everything, of all things, of no things. And meditate on why is the fool regarded as the highest attainment. When the fool is, is very much both a child and so full of wisdom. Um, something else that Phyllis Seckler really said about the fool, which I thought was very interesting, was that you can recognize the fool in 
words, you know, in the way that people talk, in the way that they present themselves, and each of the major arcana cards can be present in our personality at different points throughout our lifetime, and that you can basically uh, see which major arcana card somebody is presenting to you with, or talking to you with, or through, based on the words that they're using, based on their movements and actions and how they're presenting themselves in the world. And so that's an interesting exercise to think about for yourself. What major arcana card is my energy or what major arcana card am I uh, looking through the world with? What lens do I have on? And then you can look at other people and say, what major arcana card are they looking through the world with? Um, it's a, it's a really interesting exercise, right? I think that a lot of the occultists or magicians would say, I'm the magician. <laughs> but when you really think about it deeper or for a longer period of time, you start to think, well, wait a second, maybe I've been operating in the world under the archetype of, you know, the star card or something like that, or, um, you know, the death card even, who knows, the devil card. But anyway, um, Hopefully that wasn't too, like, messy. Um, I will try to get better at, you know, putting everything together in the future episodes. This podcast is going to come out uh, every two weeks. I feel like I need a week in between to prepare episodes. Um, That way they can get a little bit cleaner. Um, You know, my speech can get a little bit better. And we can get through this Book of the Dead together (laughs) and really see how each of the cards relate. So, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I am on Instagram. I am on YouTube, of course. uh, On all Spotify platforms. Sorry, on all podcast platforms. Spotify, uh, Amazon, etc. So, thank you.